Welcome to the Abiding Word with Pastor Jim Swigert of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Pastor Jim is teaching through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Now let's join Pastor Jim for today's Abiding Word. Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 2. That is where we are on Sunday mornings. Titled this message, Seize the Opportunities. Seize the Opportunities. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just a blessed time, Lord, as we have remembered through communion what you have sent your Son to do for us, Lord, to die a death, paying the consequences, the punishment that that we so rightly deserve. You demonstrated your love. And Lord, as we get into the scriptures and, and go through this gospel, Mark, and look at the ministry of Jesus, we do so looking back, Lord. And we see your plan come together, your plan that began before the foundation of the world that you would send your son, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world, to be the remedy for sin, that man would have access to you. That it wouldn't be based on our works, it would be based on your love, your grace, and your mercy. And so, Lord, may we continue to honor you, to praise you, to worship you, as we reflect on the life and ministry of our Savior as he walked this earth that we would be drawn closer to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are in Mark chapter 2, and Mark chapter 1, we began to see the public ministry of Jesus, how he walked this earth, he began to preach the gospel, he began to invite people to follow him, he began to teach in synagogues, he began to cast out demons, he began to heal the sick, and, and we finished up from chapter 2 that uh, there was a man who had leprosy. He had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus healed him in a special way. He touched him, and the man was healed. And then that reminds me in the Gospel of John in the 20th chapter in verse 31, uh, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so as we know, the miracles, all the things that Jesus taught, it was to bring uh, you know, the truth of who he is, who he was as he walked this earth and who he is. He is the Son of God, the Son of Man, uh, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. He is uh, the Christ. And so as we look at this, we need to keep in mind Probably for most of us, we've experienced, we've encountered Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We receive salvation. Um, But just as we sang this morning, every day we get a chance to choose. We either choose to follow him or we don't choose to follow him, one or the other. And uh, we get to see that in the scriptures as he was inviting people to himself. Um, Great application for us. So let's dive in. Verse 1, it says, And again... He entered Capernaum after some days, 
and it was heard that he was in the house. And so, again, he's in Capernaum. Um, this would be uh, the base of the ministry of Jesus, the place where miracles were performed. Most of the miracles were performed there. And um, uh, we see that um, it was heard that he was in this house. And so Jesus, by uh, performing these miracles and uh, gaining a following, people knew where he was. And at uh, this time, he's at the house, and um, the opportunity, the word opportunity comes to mind. Again, when we read the Gospel of Mark, it's fast-paced. He doesn't go into depth or didn't go into depth because this is a, a, an action-packed gospel, if you will, wanting us to focus on the action of, of Jesus and how he encountered man. But when I read that first verse, I was reading it this week, the word opportunity comes to mind. And um, we know, right? We know that when Jesus, when they heard that he was at this house, you just know something's going to happen, right? Verse 2 says, Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So remember the house? It says here that it was packed full. We see four friends of this man who was paralyzed. They carried him to the house. They see that it's packed. And because it was so crowded, they couldn't get in. They get their friend up onto the roof, and they lowered him down before Jesus. Now, that's pretty exciting stuff. And i got to tell you, every time I read this, I have to share the story. Some of you here from St. Mary's will know this. Um, this reminds me of a man who was 85 years old. Uh, in fact, it was at your house that we baptized him, right? But I remember before he got baptized, you know, he didn't know the Lord. He called me to his house and wants to know more about Jesus. His, his daughter was coming to our church at that time. And then this man wanted Jesus. He, he prayed, asked God to forgive him of his sin, 85 years old. The next week he calls me, he said, Jim, I want to come to church, but I can't. He was in a wheelchair. And our steps, you just, it was, you were not getting a wheelchair up those steps. But I said, hey, Doyle, don't worry about it. You come to church, we'll get you up the steps. That next Sunday, don't you know, there was four guys there that lifted him up these steps and got him into the church. And went long after that, he was baptized. He couldn't go down into the pond, but we sprinkled him. But we know the real baptism took place in the heart. But when I read that, i got to tell that story. And it plays right in, seize the opportunity. But here we see Jesus. Magnificent time. The place is packed. Jesus is going to do this miracle. But it's interesting to me, in the midst of the big crowd, Jesus preached the word. He preached the word, and this is significant. We're not told what he taught, but I think we can take some liberty to say and uh, pretty much assume that um, he was preaching the kingdom of God. He was sharing with them and preaching the love of God, that, the love that God has for man. He was preaching the kingdom of God and how man must repent before coming to God. He needed to change his ways. And so he's preaching the, the relationship that God desires with man. And uh, we see a, a good kingdom principle here. As followers of Christ, we live in the kingdom of God 
with having received the eternal life from God, we've been rescued from the domain of darkness. How many of you feel rescued by Jesus Christ? That's what happened when we came to him. We were rescued from the domain of darkness. That means, according to the system of the world, the system of the enemy, God sending his son, revealing himself to us. See, if we don't have a sense that we were rescued, your Christianity could be something, oh, it's just something preferred, a preferred way of living. And Christianity is much, much more than a preferred way of living. When we recognize and experience our encounter with Jesus being born again, the power of the Spirit of God, we have life. And the life that God desires for us. And we see um, Jesus here preaching the word. Again, so many in the house, no doubt, waiting for him to do something. Right? They heard the miracles. They heard the, the leper. Remember, Jesus told the leper, don't go around telling everybody what just happened. Go to the priest, like the, like the, you know, the Old Testament said, like the law of Moses said. Go to the priest, tell him what happened. Instead, he, he went out and he told people. And so people were following Jesus. And very early in his ministry, as we're reading here in Mark, a full house. And that did bring hindrances. No doubt, though, the word of God. And brothers and sisters, I, you know I sound like a broken record, but the word of God is what man needs. The word of God is what we, as a body of believers, need. The word of God, his truth, because it keeps us on track. It keeps us mindful of him. We're not going to get that from anywhere else. We need the word of God. The word of God sets us free. We sang this morning, I am, I am set free. The Bible tells us that the word of God sets us free because the word of God is truth. The word of God tells us who we are, who we were before Christ, who we are in Christ, and the wonderful promises that we have. And we walk in that. Now, it's interesting, these four friends, I mean, did Jesus seize this opportunity? But his four, these four friends of the paralytic also seized the opportunity to bring their friend to Jesus. They knew Jesus was in town. They knew he was at this house. And they had a burden for their friend. A burden for their friend. They knew their friend needed Jesus. And they believed by faith if they could get him to Jesus, which wasn't going to be an easy task, that Jesus could heal him. They believed, and they had a burden. And this is something, this is a prayer challenge for us. Don't you love these prayer challenges? Somebody needs to remind me to bring up next week what we were challenged in, right? But here it is. Do you have a burden for the lost? I praise God that this church does have a burden for the lost that they do share their faith, that they are led by the Spirit to share their faith. But it's interesting, there's hindrances, isn't there, when we share our faith, when we have a desire to do that. Uh, things come up. It's interesting the hindrances that these four fellows have. When they get to the house, they see it's crowded, but in faith they knew they had to get him before Jesus, and they go up to the roof, and they somehow open a hole in the roof. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read these things in the Bible, I get a picture. And sometimes that picture doesn't really line up with what God wants to show us. But uh, like, for instance, I, 
I see these guys carrying a sawzall up to the roof. They didn't have sawzall then. But that's the picture I get. They didn't have a sawzall, but they had some kind of instrument, as the Word of God tells us here, they uncovered the roof and they broken through. That means they went up on this roof, but first of all, somehow they got the man up there. They didn't have cranes. They didn't have elevators. Probably had some ropes. Somehow they got him up there. And then somehow they opened a hole in this roof. That, that's a hindrance. Uh, they seized the opportunity. And, and, you know, interesting, they probably had to pay for this. Somebody had to pay for it to have the roof fixed. But what do we see here? This is a divine appointment, a divine opportunity. Do you experience these kind of opportunities? How many has experienced a divine opportunity this week? Oh, man, that's awesome. Don't be discouraged if you haven't. Burdens for the lost, divine appointments. How do we get more intentional in having these? Or maybe if you can say in my heart, well, Jim, I, I, don't, I don't have a burden for the lost like what you're talking about. Or I don't have these divine appointments like what we see here. Well, you know what's interesting? You know how we have, get more intentional in this? Prayer. And the greatest example we have is Jesus. Look back at chapter 1, verse 35. Remember, Jesus said, or the word of God tells us here, Now in the morning, having risen, risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. We talked about how Jesus made time for prayer. But it's interesting to think, well, what was Jesus praying? Well, we get some, I believe we get some insight in what Jesus was praying. You know, he prayed, and when, when they came to him, you know, he said, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Well, what happened after Jesus healed the leper? He's back in Capernaum. He's at that house, and what's he doing? He's preaching the word. Jesus gives us the example. If you don't have a burden of heart for the lost, pray. Pray intentionally. Pray for those that don't know the Lord, those that come in your midst, that person you might see at Kroger's or Walmart or the Reds game or wherever. I, another challenge. See if God won't answer your prayer. See if he won't answer your cry to him. Lord, give me a divine opportunity. Show me that you're real. Show me that I can do this. He shows up. Now, continue on then. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So hopefully you got this picture in your mind. The four men lower their friend down to Jesus. And the very first thing Jesus says to them, he sees their faith, he sees what's going on, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven you. This is interesting. Jesus goes right to the heart of the paralytic man. 
He's wanting to deal with the most important thing going on in this man's life, which is his heart towards God. That is the most important thing for you and I. You may have salvation. You may be born again. You may be a true believer, but your greatest need still is your relationship with God. Jesus goes right to the heart, wanting to deal with his sin. And notice also there's faith involved. Jesus sees the faith of these men. Jesus knows something's going to take place. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, as there was faith present, there was also skeptics, the scribes, who uh, the scribes were the scholars, those were the authorities over the text of the, the Mosaic law. And when they hear Jesus say, Son, your sins are forgiven, it was like, uh oh, ding, 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 ding. Right away, they, they're offended. They're believing that Jesus is blaspheming against God, as they knew it's only God who can forgive sins. And they're right. They were absolutely right. Only God can forgive sins. Here's the scribes who knew the Old Testament law. They understand that the Christ had been foreshadowed, and he's standing before them. And Jesus, is, he's revealing himself to them. Son, your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sin. Let's look at a few scriptures that remind us of this. Only God can forgive sin. Psalm 103, verse 1 through 3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases? Only God can forgive sin. What about Psalm 130, verse 4, which says, But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So again, these are just a few verses that point to the truth that only God can forgive sin. No man has authority to forgive sin because sin is missing God's mark, his standard. We have the blessed privilege because of the Holy Spirit. We can tell somebody their sins are forgiven. Isn't that powerful? That's more incentive if you've never experienced that because it's not about us. It's about the power of God that you would be able to tell somebody because you have asked God forgiveness of your sins we can tell you from the word of God, your sins are forgiven. Amen? If Jesus was just a man alone, he would not be able to forgive sin. Since he is God, he's able to forgive sin. And so here we see faith from the four men who lowered the paralytic to, to Jesus. And you have here the scribes and you know reasoning in their hearts Right away when Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, they're thinking this man is blaspheming against God. And then he goes right to them. Look at verse 8. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? 
your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out into the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, obviously, for you and I, it would have been easier to hear or say, your sins are forgiven. It's interesting that I don't know if your sins have been forgiven. I know Jesus was sent for you to die on the cross, but I don't know your heart. I might understand the evidence of what is in your heart. But man can't measure sins being forgiven. And so uh, Jesus essentially is saying, I'm going to prove to you that I can forgive sin by healing the paralytic man, which is something that they would be able to see, a visual, to back up what he was saying. So Jesus is showing, again, revealing himself, he has the authority for who he is to forgive this man of his sins. And notice also, interesting, that in the midst of Jesus um, uh, saying this to, to the scribes, he said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And we know that Son of Man is a messianic term that certainly these scribes would have understood what Jesus was saying as referring to the Messiah, the one who would be king over the kingdom. And Jesus, is, again, he's, he's revealing himself. The Son of Man. And I love in the Gospel, Mark, you have, and then, then, immediately after. And so verse 13, it says, Then, after that took place, he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Aphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. So here we have the invitation to Levi, who we know as Matthew. We understand that Matthew was a tax collector, uh, collecting taxes for the Roman government, certainly would have been known as an outcast to society as they, as you know, uh, you know, collected taxes for the Roman government, and then to make more of a profit for themselves, they would just add on. And so it caused a lot of division, and they were looked at, uh, tax collectors were as outcasts. So um, Jesus sees him, and he says, follow me. Follow me. Come and be my companion. Come and walk in the same manner. Walk in the right plan of life. Receive the call to new life. And again, we see these words, follow me. Precious words. At one time, you heard that precious phrase, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. And again, that's ongoing, just like what we sang this morning. It's, it's ongoing to be a follower of Jesus. Sometimes we can, as we walk with the Lord, uh, you know, we think of maybe giving our testimony and, and there's more emphasis when we first got saved. God desires that we continuously follow him, follow the, Jesus, that we always have a testimony. 
And when we do follow him, we will have a new testimony. And so Jesus invites Matthew to follow him, verse 15. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. Uh, This is most likely the next day, Matthew here having a farewell party. He's letting all of his tax-collecting buddies and other sinners know that uh, he's done. He's going to follow Jesus. This is not saying quit your job and follow Jesus, by the way. And it's interesting that the Lord gives him the strength and wisdom to do this. And this is something that disciples do. They look for opportunities to share their faith. They look for opportunities maybe to show hospitality with a plan to plant a seed of who Jesus is and what he has done in your life. That's what disciples do. Verse 16, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so the scribes, they have this problem with Jesus eating with uh, non-believers and tax collectors, as did the Pharisees. And, And Jesus, again, he goes right to their hearts. He speaks to their condition, and he points them to he had a mission to save people spiritually, just like a physician would come to tend the sick. The Pharisees thought, again, you know, they were righteous, they were focused on the outward appearances, keeping up their works, their good rituals that they tried to keep. And um, Jesus says, I didn't come for the righteous. Now in this, he's not, he's not saying they were righteous. They thought they were righteous on their external works they did for the Lord. Jesus isn't saying or wasn't saying that they were righteous and that they, they were already saved. He's pointing to the fact that repentance needed to take place. 180 degree turn, a change of mind as we've been looking at the word repentance in this gospel. It's a call to a new life. It's not a call to clean up your life before you come to Jesus. Repentance is a work of God working out his plan, his life in our hearts. And as we have that change of mind, we repent, we turn from our ways, and we follow God. And every other religion under the sun, except for Christianity, teaches a work-based, the- or work-based salvation. Our salvation has been given to us by the mercy of God, by believing in his son Jesus. And it's a, it's a life, a change of life. Now, I want to point out here, and there's, there's, we see this much too often today is, uh, in, in ministry. There are some that uh, use this passage of Scripture to create ministries and send them out to, you know, let's go out to the bars, let's go out to wherever, because we need to go 
sit with sinners and tax collectors and, and drunkards uh, to build up relationship with them and then share the gospel. I don't think that's right. I think we do need to build relationship with sinners. But I also know that Jesus, when he, he preached the word of God, and he mentions here, but sinners to repentance. You see, some people get in the mindset, well, we've got to go build that relationship. We do. But if we're not telling them the truth about Jesus, about their need to repent, then we might, doing it, might be doing it from a, some, kind of a, some kind of motive that doesn't line up with God in our heart. You notice we don't have Spider-Man here. We don't have Iron Man. We're not raffling off Harleys. We're not giving you tickets to go drink. Because the Word of God doesn't give us anything like that to tell that to the flock. We're called to be set free from this world. We're called to be different. We're called to be having the light of Jesus Christ in us that we might demonstrate to others. If we're living like the world and trying to appease the world and, and inviting them to come have the light that I have, it's not the life that Jesus shows in the scriptures. Now, don't mishear me. We are to build relationships. If all we are is hanging out with other believers, ooh, well, that's fun. But we do need to come up with plans to, to reach the lost. We do need to hang out with, the, with those that aren't walking with the Lord, build a relationship with them. But we need to do it with the mindset that they need set free. Amen? So, so after this, the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to them, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and when they will fast in those days. So the issue of conversation here is fasting. The, fa uh, the Pharisees fasted uh, regularly for a religious practice at this time a couple of times. Um, in the Old Testament, one day was uh, commanded to fast. That was the Day of Atonement. But, but here they're fasting twice a week and they're doing it to be seen, as we'll see throughout uh, the Gospels. Nothing wrong with fasting, a great spiritual discipline. It's good and healthy to fast. But Jesus is implying here and points to a wedding ceremony with, with, in, in the Jewish wedding ceremony, a seven-day feast. It's a celebration. It's joy. There would be no need to fast because the bridegroom is with them. Seven days of rejoicing. So while the disciples want to fast, uh, you know, they wouldn't want to fast during this celebration. And Jesus points that there would be fasting after he, would, after he left. But at the current time, there wasn't any. So he also um, interacts here with an important truth. The disciples of John and the Pharisees, look at verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. And no one puts on new wine into the old wineskins or else the new wine bursts in the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. 
but new wine must be put into new wineskins. And so Jesus gives this illustration of patching up an old garment. Um, and He's basically saying it doesn't work with an unshrunk cloth. Uh, I don't know. I, I tried to patch up jeans before. Again, these things that you get in your mind when you read scriptures, it didn't ever work. And so with the wineskins, Jesus reminding them that as the wine was often stored in animal skins, as the wine would ferment, it would you know, stretch and expand the uh, wineskin, it would bust when the wine was poured in. All a point is showing, Jesus did not come to patch up Judaism. There was a new thing at hand. And it's, that's something important for us to understand as disciples, not only as we walk with the Lord, but also as we share with others. Because it can get twisted and turned that we have to have a works-based salvation, that you've got to clean up your life. Jesus came, he, didn't, he doesn't want to reform our lives. He doesn't want to make us better people. He doesn't want to make us a good person. How many of you witnessed to somebody and they said, well, I'm a good person. Anybody? Yeah, probably all of us. There is none, none good. No, there's none good. Only Jesus is good. Jesus didn't come to fix our lives. He came to give us new life. Praise the Lord. New life. New life in Christ. And this is something, again, that this is something we have to offer to other people. It's not about uniting with the old, fixing the old, patching up the old. The truth is Jesus came to give us life. And as we turn from the old life and turn to him, all one, right? Fixing our eyes on him, there's a transformation that takes place. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.17. There, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And what about Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22? Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is the flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Isn't that a powerful description of the gospel? Is this not what Jesus had done at the cross? Remember when Jesus died on the cross, that veil tore in the temple from top to bottom, and it was opened up. Access was given to God for you and I, and for all who would call upon the name of the Lord. What about Romans 6, 4? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in newness of life. And then what about Titus chapter uh, 3, verses 4 through 8? Which says, Which says, <laughs> But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing 
a regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. That's, that's an awesome passage of Scripture there, which comes with great exhortation. It reminds us that we have to continue to follow Jesus. To, to answer the call and following Jesus, it's not just a one-time thing. It's a daily thing, amen? We choose every day to follow him or not follow him. And every day the Spirit of God is inviting us to, to follow him. And in that passage also, did you catch how we're exhorted through the Holy Spirit that our works would be profitable to whom? Others. Isn't it amazing how God, when we read the Gospels, and we'll get there when he begins to really use his disciples, that the creator of this universe desires to use man to fulfill his purposes. And to make it more personal, he wants to use you. He wants to use me. And that only happens when we follow him. When we follow him in obedience. Interesting that when you look at Matthew, when he heard those precious words, follow me, he didn't hesitate. He immediately began to follow him. And wherever you are this morning, maybe you're hearing the Spirit of God say, follow, follow me, follow Jesus. Maybe there's something in your life that's hindering you. Maybe, maybe there's something that you have to overcome. Maybe he's calling you to bring a friend on top of the roof so you can get him to Jesus. Whatever it is, whatever that hindrance is, trust him. He will do it. Maybe it's your own personal life. Maybe there's hindrances in your life that is preventing you from selling yourself out to Jesus. Whatever it is, follow him. He'll deal with your heart. Deal with him in honesty, and he will deal with your heart and continue to reel you in that you follow him, and he works in your life and uses you in a mighty way. See, we're called to seize the opportunity. Following him is an opportunity. Walking with the Lord is an opportunity. Walking in obedience is, a, is an opportunity. Not just for you to receive the blessings of God, but to be used by God. So the question is, are we seizing the opportunity that God has given us? And uh, I just, you know, even before we leave today, let's just pray for someone in our family, in our midst, that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Don't leave here without praying with somebody or asking somebody how you could pray for them and then pray. Because Jesus, remember, in the first chapter, he prayed. And as he prayed, Jesus knew there were things that were going to happen. Do you expect divine appointments to happen? We ought to. If we pray, we should expect God to show up in a mighty way. Sometimes we get buried in his work and we're doing things for the Lord that we kind of get caught up in our own business. And okay, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray for divine appointment. And then bam, he does it on Tuesday or Wednesday, hopefully Monday, but it might be Thursday. I pray that happens this week to us 
as we pray for these divine appointments. Seize the opportunity, amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's, it's awesome to see our Savior as he walked this earth, as he seized the opportunity to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to further the truth of God. And Lord, we know 2,000 years later, you still have the same plan, that the word of God and power would go out, and that by your mercy you would heal man, not, not just physically, but more importantly, spiritually, that the man's sin would be dealt with. And the only way it's dealt with is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we praise you this morning, Lord, that our sins are forgiven. But yet, Lord, we still need to follow you. We still need that power working in and through our lives that we might work in other people's lives, to see you work in them, to see them come to you, to see you glorified. So, Father, would you anoint Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship with the special anointing of your Holy Spirit this week, that we would be sensitive to your Spirit to pray, when you tell us to pray, to watch and be alert, when you tell us to watch and be alert. Help us to walk through that door, understanding that you will give us the words to share with those lost ones or those who have fallen away from you, Lord. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Hello. This is Pastor Jim from Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship located in northern Cincinnati. Thank you for listening to today's Abiding Word. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we hope the word has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord today. You can email me at PastorJimSwigert at gmail.com. That's Pastor Jim Swigert at gmail.com with any comments or prayer requests. You can also connect with us at Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Church website is calvarychapelfaithfellowship.org. There you can learn more about the ministry of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Thank you and God bless.